on Young Nostalgia, we're taking it way back. Let's take a look. Young Nostalgia, another fabulous episode. I'm Nolan, as always. Ben is beside me in this wonderful podcast studio that looks exactly like the inside of your turkey you just had last week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, episode 80 coming to you. It's so good to be back in here uh, and kicking us off after the wonderful holiday. Ben, how you doing, big guy? Oh, I'm doing good. It's good to be back to uh, Young Nostalgia. The good old shenanigans. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? It was good. I... I almost I almost exploded. Went to you know several different <laughs> Thanksgiving, several different uh, uh, different family members Thanksgivings as well as uh, family of Sierra. So it's stuffed to the brim. How was your Thanksgiving? I love it. Uh, it. It was it was good. Well, okay, if we talk about actually Thanksgiving Day, it was just Michelle and I, and then we went to this dive diner out on a highway near us. So that was kind of cool. So that it was just it was just her and I, and then we just kind of stayed inside and played video games. But uh, the the Saturday before Thanksgiving, we had uh, friendsgiving, so we had friends over um, and just had a lot of booze and some good food. Um, and then that's when we kind of celebrated and then stayed up till like three in the morning playing games and all that. Fantastic. But, uh, you know, but you know what? Oh my gosh. I need, we need to tell our audience right now. Uh, okay. So weeks ago when you and Kyle came and visited us here in Lincoln, <laughs> you were like, ah, nah guys, I just, I can't do card games. You know, my mind can't just wrap around it. I don't know what it is, but you know, I just don't like them. And then maybe like that same day, but eight hours later, he was like, do you guys mind well, teaching well, me euchre? It was, it was after <laughs> large amounts of alcohol consumption as well. <laughs> That's true. So his, uh, his, um, perception or you know like his uh decision making skills were very limited at this point but he did ask us to teach him and now he has almost played every other week he'll send us a picture and we're like hey you're playing yuka again so i think we made a big fan well out of ben. it's not even really been every other week it's uh well i guess we didn't start playing right after we got back from uh nebraska it's probably a couple weeks after that but pretty much every weekend uh sierra and i go over to my parents house and we play yuka with my parents no way. It's yeah, we played uh we played ended up playing Thursday Thanksgiving after all the rounds we made on Thanksgiving Day, we ended up back at my uh my parents' house to play, you know, a couple hours of euchre as well. That's really cool. Okay, so I mean like honestly, oh, man, you weren't you. you you weren't bad, dude. Like you and I were partners when we were playing and you know, we we did pretty well. You you played you played some risky hands, but you also understood what you were doing, so that's good. Well, it's that it's that novice it's that uh that element of novice that it seems like a lot of beginners have where it's like, you know what, you, you know, you know enough to be a little bit dangerous, but you don't know enough to like be careful in certain situations. So you're like, whatever, let's <laughs> right. do it. <laughs> right. Right. And then people are like, Hey, good, good hand. And then you just act like you knew what you were doing. Like, oh yeah, I know. It. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, but we're right. Jo- next time you guys are in note. town though, we're coming for you. We're, we're going to uh, guns a blaze and we're going to get you. I love it. Well, uh, we'll be back in town late December, man, so we'll be hanging out. We're excited. Okay, back on track. Here we go. Episode 80. (laughs) We're going to be – Ben actually came up with this amazing idea while I was getting 44 bags of microwave popcorn at Costco. (laughs) He was texting me (laughs) about this wonderful show idea um, about – well, we're going to like – 
step it back and actually go through like you know big pop culture events um and just pick random years and i actually got a huge kick out of this he just texted me be like hey let's do this idea it sounds really cool and i was like hell yeah man let's do it and he was like okay we're starting with 1950 you know out of all the years 1950 is where we're starting and i think this is going to be a really cool uh ongoing uh show topic so let's get on into it anything else big guy before we just jump on in no let's do it man all right here we go episode 80 coming your way talked a little bit about this before hitting that uh, record button, but check this out. So, Ben, I didn't know if you wanted to take these uh, quick little uh, shooter numbers of kind of what it was like to live back in 1950, like cost of living. Sure, I'll go ahead right into it. So, I just, there, there were the article that I found that had all this data, they they had a, a ton, like a laundry list of different stuff, and I, a lot of it was not super relative to today. It was kind of oddball stuff that wouldn't really make sense unless you kind of dug into it. But I chose kind of like the top five or six uh, meaning that things that would be meaningful to someone of today. So uh, just like the average cost of a new home in 1950 was about eight and a half thousand dollars. That's crazy. Like you can you can buy a somewhat OK, good used car for that price today. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's. <laughs> And that's what a, that's what a house was. Now, I mean, now it's, uh, you know, I, I'm not looking at houses by any means, but I know people who are looking at houses. And it seems like you're looking into the the two hundred thousands as like average, like middle of the road house, you know? Right. Like not a fixer upper, like move in ready, but yeah, obviously oh yeah, still needs stuff done to it. Mo- but. Move in ready might need a few things here and there, but by no means a mansion. You know, just a, a normal right. dwelling with, uh, you know, maybe a five to ten acres of land around it, which is that's that's not huge. That's good size, but not huge. I mean, you're look easy looking into the two hundred thousand range. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, um, and of course that goes right along with the average wages per year in 1950 of three thousand two hundred dollars, um, <laughs> which is crazy to think about. Too, I guess. I guess probably should have led with the wages because it puts everything else into a little bit better perspective. Just like the uh, cost of a gallon of gas at this time, averaging around eighteen cents a gallon. Wow. Um, you know, a, a ballpoint pen uh, at a uh, at a store would be about twenty five cents per pen, which that one doesn't seem as crazy of a difference. I guess it, it all depends on you know, the product that you're looking at, I suppose. Um, Right. You know, if you're getting a big pen, you know, like you're paying top dollar. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, I'm just thinking like you get like a pack of 20, just cheap ballpoint pens. And what's that? Maybe between five and $10. So that's not, it is more expensive, but it's not super far off from what it was. Um, Yeah. The big thing that I wanted to talk about is the Stromberg black and white television was going for roughly $250 at the time. Oh my god. And that's kind of blowing my mind a little bit. I I don't have any of the data as far as, you know, what that would be in today's money or what a current television would be in 1950s money, but 
you know, everybody knows that it, the the dollar now compared to 1950 has less buying power. So, uh, you know, you hear all this stuff like, hey, this thing cost $5 back in day. In today's money, that might be $37 and some change. Right. Um, but for this to be $250, and I, I think... I think this is taking just like an average TV, which would be probably between 12 and 18 inches. Um, well, now, I mean, heck, you go to Walmart and, you know, if you go to, they're running a deal or something, you might be able to get a 32 inch for $89.99. Yeah, absolutely. And that's LED exactly. and a smart TV. Right. And, and I thought this was pretty crazy because across the board, everything was super cheap compared to today and and i say cheap because i have to go back at cheap in regards to <laughs> 1950s money that was still that might still be a lot of money back then but looking at it and compared to today's money it's a lot different but a tv you know i mean that's still that's still more dollars than it would take to buy a tv today i mean you could buy two tvs for that two tvs yeah. and a small one for the bedroom Right. So uh, it's almost like the things that became the centerpieces of the living room after they, you know, came to be prominent, those have have almost just become too easy to make in terms of today, you know, like TVs are mm-hmm. relatively cheap nowadays. Like it, it'd be hard to not find a TV in a home because they're just so accessible. Exactly. And it, it's 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 not a uh, it's not a new and emerging technology anymore. I mean, a TV is so stinking simple and easy to make. And I mean, they're almost disposable. Yeah. They're so, right, easy, to, right. they're so easy to make and so cheap to buy now. Um, That's a good idea. I think I'm going to make our old TV into our new dining room table. <laughs> just start, <laughs> just start buying TVs as building supplies instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Uh, all right um okay so uh we'll move on to the next big point um and you know the the first two main like events that kicked off in 1950 kind of run together a little bit and and you and i were talking about this before we hit uh record so the first one is the korean war began when north korea invaded south korea in june of 1950 um the korean war begins when north korea invaded and the, and the country had previously been divided after the end of World War II, with the North become communist and the South becoming capitalists. After the initial invasion, each side had indicated that they wanted to unify the country under their preferred ideology, but only small attacks had been made up until the up until the point of the full invasion. Full-on civil war began after the North launched a full invasion and eventually captured the South's capital of Seoul. Not long after the war began, it became an international conflict. Um, obviously, when the United States and United Nations sent troops in to help the South and China uh, began helping the North. The war ended three years later in 1953 when the two countries settled on just maintaining the original division, and that's where we are today, obviously. But, you know, the main thing that we kind of talked about is how almost glossed over that this war has been, we feel like, you know, in, in at least today's talk of you know, military operations. It's because, you know, I just feel like the stake that U.S. had was not as big as, like, obviously World War II or even Vietnam, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, there was nothing to really say 
anything of a win or a loss. It was just like a conflict, and we were over there obviously supporting the people that we wanted to support, but we didn't really lose much. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's... Aside from, you know, occasionally out when you're out and about, you see uh, you see somebody with a, uh, uh, you know, like a like a military hat, you know, Korean War vet kind of thing. Other than that, it just seems like no one really talks too much about the Korean War. And I would imagine that uh, that a lot of that probably has something to do with. Yes, it, it only lasted three years. Um. You know, there was still substantial loss of life uh, for everyone involved with the Korean War. But it, you know, only lasting three years, it, it just seemed it, it didn't. I don't know. It's hard to say it, it didn't take hold of the of the pop culture of the time enough to still be popping up as frequently as like the World War Two uh, Vietnam media that, you know, we still even see today. Um, right and you know another another thing is that there i don't believe there was ever war declared on either side um and so it was kind of a just it was kind of wishy-washy in you know in just definition of a war um, there was right. obviously, obviously a conflict. Um, we were there, um, which we were there in addition to the UN being involved as well. Um, and without anyone actually declaring war on anybody, which always kind of, you know, that, that's a, that's a kind of a hard line to, to distinguish between, you know, war and conflict in that kind of scenario right and by no means are we trying to like downplay what this was because obviously everyone that served obviously means a lot to this country and you know we're fully supported but it's an interesting time period not even being 10 years after world war ii Mm -hmm. i feel like the u.s is still on a very high of you know we are um seen as one of the biggest leaders government and military wise in in the world and this kind of couples with like how the Cold War really ramped up and especially with, um, you know, anti-communism movement here in uh, the Americas. Um, and that's kind of where we transitioned to the next point where like President Truman received the NSC 68 report about the Cold War. So, Ben, you can kick us off with that and then kind of meld the, the two together. Right. So earlier in the year in April, the NSC 68 was report... Uh, was completed and sent over to U.S. President Harry Truman. Um, And this report contained recommendations on how to approach the Cold War with the Soviet Union and would ultimately influence U.S. US policy in regards to the Cold War for roughly the next 20 years. Uh, Some of the main results of the report uh, were the United States' aggressive military expansion and buildup of nuclear weaponry, as well as enacting the policy of containment against communist nations. Uh, The recommendations of NSC-68 would become official U.S. policy in September of 1950 after the outbreak of the Korean War. Uh, One of the many long-term effects of the report was the massive increase in military spending 
with military budget nearly tripling soon after the policy change was enacted. Um, and then the document was not actually officially declassified until later on until 1975. Um, Crazy. But I want to five years later. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I want to back up a little bit to the, uh, Recommendations on how to approach Cold War Soviet Union and influence. I lost my place. Some of the main results. <laughs> oh, yeah. Containment of communist nations. Um, and this is kind of the key point in in why we were involved in Korea in the first place. And it was. And it was basically a civil war between a divided country, north and south. Uh, South being communist, or I'm sorry, North being communist, South being a uh, more capitalist society. Um, And it was it was this. This idea of containing, we need to contain and push back and ultimately try to eliminate uh, the communist threat whenever possible. And that was that was ultimately going to be one of the main reasons why we were involved in Korea in the first place. Cause we really didn't have too much stake at all in the region. Um, other than our, uh, sympathies with the South Korean being capitalist. Um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I didn't know where else you were going with that. I, I wasn't going to start a new thought until you're ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha and i i wasn't really going to go any more more after that i'm not a historian and i i can't i can't speak in specifics too much um but i just wanted to kind of cover some of this stuff because it seemed like we talked about before it seemed like korea was kind of a you just don't hear too much about it and a lot of people don't a lot of people our age especially don't don't know a whole lot of you know the time period of the the kind of conflicts that led up to the uh, the Korean war. Um, and so it was basically our, that was kind of our, our policy at the time anyway, based off this NSC report from earlier in the year, as well as our involvement in the UN, uh, that ended up kind of dragging us into this, this conflict. Right. Right. And then obviously there's a whole big, uh, thing of how the cold war obviously went on and on. But, uh, what we talked a little bit before, before we kind of move on, um, is just how like, this aggressive anti-communist ideology led us to try and be like, we need to be the first in technology advancement and and this and that, obviously go to the moon. But we wanted to stay ahead of the entire curve to make them, you know, behind us at all times. You know, like we have to show that communism is not the way. Oh, yeah, Um, yeah. And that was... And all that. Exactly. And that was not... That and it wasn't just militarily, you know. It was huge. The whole the Cold War was kind of based around, uh, you know, uh, you know, having the greatest the greatest power should there be a hot war, um, right? But it also it bled over into every other aspect of life in general. Like you talked about, there was the space race. Um, there was an an overall feeling, you know, of, of the, the consumer market, everything had to be, everything had to be better than the, uh, corresponding aspect in, 
a communist culture. I guess that was a roundabout way of saying that. Um, <laughs> Man, you got some big words going on there. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. Uh, right. And so it's and, and that it went into uh, the education system. It was, uh, you know, we had to basically everything from the ground up had to be better. Right. Absolutely. And it is better. Like, let's be honest. Yes. Here we go. Yes. All right, of moving course. on. <laughs> so on to a little bit lighter note and kind of some fun things uh, to talk about. Uh, so the first Peanuts comic strip debuts in 1950. And we talked about this a few shows back where we highlighted um, Schul- uh, Charles Schultz and uh, Garfield as well. Um so the first Peanuts comic strip published on October 2nd of 1950, and it was an initially shown in seven different newspapers. The comic was created by Charles Schultz and featured the classic character Charlie Brown. The Peanuts comics soon became a huge hit, spawning TV shows, cartoon films, books, and merchandise, all featuring the beloved characters. The comics became a pop culture fixture and ran in the U.S. newspapers until February of 2000 when the last Peanuts comic strip hit the presses a day after Charles Schultz's uh, death. Um, So it was kind of crazy, obviously a big milestone in uh, U.S. pop culture history for over 50 years, um, which is awesome. Yeah, and there was... uh you know, we, we don't want to to beat the dead horse too much with, uh, you know, the peanuts. You know, I know we just talked about it. But that being said, the it was pretty interesting the how Charlie Brown progressed through the years. Um, because when he first. When, when the comic strip first hit, I think it was 1950, he was, Charlie Brown was portraying a four-year-old kid, four-year-old boy. And if I remember right, it was th- six years later, and he had only aged two years. And then okay. I think <laughs> after that, he spent the rest of the the remaining the remainder of Charles Schultz's life he was 8 years old um okay which i don't you know that's neither here nor there but i just thought it was i thought it was interesting uh how it wasn't a it wasn't linear by any means uh you know the aging of charlie brown um, cuz it <laughs> he just, ages like a fine wine my friend <laughs> <laughs> Just because I, I thought it was interesting because a lot of times characters don't ever age. And a lot of times, and if they do, it's cl- a little bit closer to uh, to real time. Okay. And I just thought it was e- odd that there was just kind of specific time points. Like, okay, now there was a reference to him being this many years old. And then some... Uh, y- uh, arbitrary number of years later, he was <laughs> this many years old. Um, well, which is crazy because I mean, when I read Peanuts, like by no means am I like, okay, I'm reading a comic about a five year old kid. Like, right, right. It doesn't like his age has nothing to do with the comics in general, but obviously that's a point that people wanted to point out, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is funny to me. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought it was more just comical to to think about, not you know anything substantive to the to right. the actual content of the show. 
<laughs> right. I'm sure I'm sure there's people out there that are like, you know, a rational four year old boy won't actually act like this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Guaranteed. Yeah, there's always it gotta to be, be the, the the Debbie Downer and <laughs> <No>. <laughs> ruin it for everybody. <laughs> um so going into kind of a little bit different section of the show, this is kind of uh looking at more commercial side of 1950. Um, and a lot of this is coming from uh, popculture.us, which I, I, I really like. I'm going to bookmark this for later use. Um, just some good good info. And you can basically go down year to year and look at basically just what happened. You can look at top-selling children's toys for a certain year. You can look at to- uh, everything down to... Uh, tennis champions year to year and it's they've pretty much got everything <laughs> that's pretty cool mm-hmm. um and so i'll start right off with uh sean connery placing third in the 1950 mr universe contest <laughs> <laughs> i forgot about that i like i forgot that he was into that kind of stuff yeah i did too i think we talked about it maybe a little bit when we did the like the james bond yeah, show the james bond show um but I always forget that that's kind of where Sean Connery started started out was, you know, he was a, I don't know if it was really bodybuilding at the time, but it was more of a, like, physique competitions. Right, yeah. At least, like, you know, he was a, he was a chiseled human being. Right, exactly. Um, so moving on a little bit, some of these points are just kind of goofy, weird things that no one really think about, like Minute Rice, you know, something that we kind of take for granted, use it all the time. Minute Rice appeared on the shelves for the first time in 1950. Thank God. I don't know where I'd be without that. <laughs> yes, I could not agree more. We just need to figure out when ramen noodles were uh, introduced. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Cap'n Crunch, so. Yes, yes, Captain Crunch. <laughs> we'll have to do a whole show on Captain Crunch. That'd be funny. I would absolutely That'd be love super that. Funny. All right, so That'd moving on to the next one. I was super excited about this one. I don't know why. I gotta find one of these sets. I probably couldn't afford it if I found one. <laughs> Um, this was like like I could like you know this is one of the things that you sit down you know obviously when Ben and I sit down in the studio and record he was like so excited and squirming around like this is like he was like okay we got to talk about the show prep and this is the first thing he brought up and it's like halfway down the entire show prep <laughs> out of everything else he's really he really excited about this one. so the 1950 toy lab set uh called the Gilbert U238 Atomic Energy Laboratory um, hit the market in this this child's lab set basically it actually contained uranium ore polonium and a geiger counter um, as well as a cloud chamber for uh experimenting this is just so crazy i mean you know a lot of times we do reference to this but this has to be the exact spawn of why those commercials would be like, do you have cancer from this Gilbert U-238 <laughs> Atomic Energy Laboratory? You could be entitled into con- compensation. Well, like now, now that you said that, that completely reminded me. I didn't actually put it in the show notes, but there was one in the list that I passed. Uh, uh, who was the company? Who was the company? Kent. It was a tobacco company uh, back in okay. the day. They advertised a, a, new fil- a new type of filter for their cigarettes, and they, you know... Back in the day, there was kind of some sleazy marketing on the side of tobacco companies. 
and they talked about the health benefits of it and all this stuff. <laughs> and it was supposed to be this new miracle way of filtering these cigarettes. And uh, you know what the filter material is actually made out of? And they advertise oh, no. it? Asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that'll do it. Oh, my God. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> That's good. Um, That's awesome. Anyway, right. so back to <laughs> the, the Gilbert U-238. Um, so this is an actual quote from the, this is basically the catalog description of the product. So quote, produces awe-inspiring sights, enables you to actually see the path of electrons and alpha particles traveling at speeds of more than 10,000 miles per second. Electrons racing at fantastic velocities produce delicate, intricate paths of electrical condensation. Okay, think about the words electrical condensation. I was just about to say, like, does does that even make sense? No. I don't even, don't even think that's a thing. It doesn't. Oh, my God. All right, so uh, beautiful to watch. Viewing cloud, chamber, viewing cloud chamber action is closest man has come to watching the atom. Uh, assembly kit, uh, which would be the chamber, can be put together in a few minutes. Includes dielectric power pack, deionizer, compression bulb, glass viewing chamber, tubings, power leads, stand, and legs. Wow. <laughs> oh my god. I this it, it's just amazing. There's uh I guess uh, some more info, kind of background info on on this set. Um unlike, yeah, is there a picture of this? Uh I didn't include a picture, but you can find one readily on Google. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to type this in quick. Unlike other A.C. Gilbert Company chemistry sets, uh, the Atomic Energy Lab was never popular and was soon taken off the shelves. Uh, fewer than 5,000 kits were ever sold, and the product was only offered in 1950 and 1951. Gilbert believed the Atomic Energy Lab was commercially unsuccessful because the lab was more appropriate for those who had some educational background, um, i.e. middle school, high school age kids. Uh, rather than the younger crowd that the A.C. Gilbert company aimed for. Um, but going forward a little bit, it's kind of funny that Columbia University actually purchased five of these sets for use in their physics lab. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that just kind of shows you how much they missed the mark on the target audience for this. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, it, uh, of course, this this whole thing is is highly criticized for its uh safety concerns <laughs> um wow but uh i guess there was there was no actual warnings on any of the packaging well i guess the only warning was uh do not remove the uranium and polonium from the jars that it comes in because quote it's flaky in nature and <laughs> could it, it it would uh it could potentially a little bit would get out and would increase the background count in your quote laboratory um, and throw off your readings, <laughs> which oh, kind of a roundabout way of saying like, "Hey, don't take it out because it's going to kill you." <laughs> um, but they kind of masked it by saying it's going to ruin your scientific readings. Right, and you don't want that at all. Exactly. Oh, my God. Hey, Johnny, what's this on the table? Dinner's ready. Just take this off. You know, like, here, 
I'm going to put some in my pepper and then my mom and dad won't even know it's a joke. Like, oh my God, what the, that's freaking, that's so freaking well, crazy. Well, one of the activities that the, uh, that the, I guess it would be instruction manual or activity guide or whatever that would come with it, um, it's hide and seek. And so what you would do is you'd have someone hide the little jar of uranium you know, somewhere in the room or in the house, and it would be a game to use the Geiger counter to find it. Oh, <laughs> my God, this is crazy. So, I mean, oh. it, it is now it was it was all super low level, you know, nothing. It, it's not like it's not like any of this. You you accidentally crack open the vial. There's not going to be like a Chernobyl sized contamination by any means. <laughs> Um, right. It was m- mostly, mostly safe. But that being said, it's just, I mean, it's still uranium and it's still polonium, <laughs> which are relatively controlled substances, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like, not like, like it's enriched. Can be toxic. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's enriched uranium that, you know, is going to kill somebody in five minutes of exposure, but this whole thing just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> no, I know. That's amazing. I I think I saw an eBay listing, but I didn't click it. I uh, <laughs> forgot to. I went to something else actually. But it's actually like honestly super rare, and almost you can't even find it anywhere. But yeah, definitely it, look up a picture of this because it's it's. I mean, it looks really cool, but holy crap! Oh yeah, it looks um, super fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. If I knew I was going to be okay, I'd probably play with it quite a bit. <laughs> so uh, the next one that we have here, when the New York Sun was relaunched in 2002, its first edition carried the solution to the last crossword puzzle that the earlier Sun published before it folded in 1950. <laughs> so, so I'm you know like the newspaper. So the last one was done in 1950, and then over 50 years later, they posted. They posted the uh, solution to that, which which is funny. I mean, if you were the one to keep the, the last 1950 New York Sun newspaper and then also got the 2002 re-release, give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com and let us know what that was and send us an email. Or if you just have a New York Sun lying around, also shoot us a picture of that because that's really cool. I just, I just imagine somebody stuck with an unfinished crossword for 50 years. <laughs> oh. And then they finally get the New York Sun in 2002, like basically on their right. deathbed, and they look at the answers, and they're like, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Either that or like, you know, there's a ghost haunting that last issue of the New York Sun <laughs> and finally can pass on peacefully now that the <laughs> solutions were given out. <laughs> Uh, that's fine. I mean, that's fan- and no, it, it's funny, but it's also fantastic that someone had the thought to go back, right, and do that. <laughs> I know, like they probably had to solve it just to get the solutions themselves. Oh yeah, in fifty years, there's no way that there was someone's finding the original answers, you know, to that crossword in a back closet, you know. Right. Right. There's no way. And there was no way. <laughs> here's another one of your favorites up next oh yeah you're gonna do it or am i gonna do it 
No, I was going to let you do it. Okay. So, uh, 7-Up, which was actually created in 1929, uh, originally contained lithium citrate. Uh, well, what's lithium citrate, you might ask? Well, it's actually a mood-stabilizing drug uh, that has actually been used <laughs> to treat uh, manic states and bipolar uh, disorders as early as the mid-1800s. Um, this is relevant because it was actually taken out, uh, of the product in 1950, uh, several years earlier in 1948, it was, there was really kind of starting to be a, a crackdown on all these later to be controlled substances, um, being commercially marketed in soft drinks and well, across the market in general, but it was. The biggest was the soft drinks market. Um, and so originally in 1929, it was the bib label lithiated lemon lime soda. And it. Oh my God. Try to fit that on like the little like uh, <laughs> soft drink dispensers at Burger King. <laughs> yeah, that'd be tough. It'd have to have like a little <laughs> fold down little name card. <laughs> yeah. um, well, what is this? <laughs> and it. This one was a little bit different because there was a lot of stuff at the time did have a bunch of crazy stuff added to it for varying different uh, results. Well, a lot of those didn't necessarily advertise that. It was either a byproduct of the ingredients used in the drink or it was added not knowing what it would really do. Um, They just knew it sold really well. Um, But this one was... This one was different because it was actually advertised as a mood-stabilizing beverage. Um, And it was advertised as a basically a lithiated uh, lemon-lime soda is kind of what it was advertised as. And it was... Wow. And it was uh, right there on their their commercials and advertisements. They talked about how it was a... uh, I... You know, I don't want to keep using the word mood stabilizing, but that, I mean, that's what it was. It was kind of uh, just like a mellow. Exactly. Like, like something that just mellow you out. That's crazy. Yep. And uh, that's, that's awesome. I thought that was kind of interesting because, like I said, a lot of those you don't necessarily see them advertised as a drug. And this one and this one pretty much was. Right. And, you know, it was totally OK. And people were like, hell, sounds all right to me. <laughs> Maybe we, can get our, maybe we can get our hands on uh, a couple bottles pre nineteen fifty seven up bottles. God, I hope I hope they wouldn't taste flat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> rounding out the show is the uh, actually perfect time of year to talk about this: the top Christmas gifts or toys from the nineteen fifty uh, from the year nineteen fifty. Uh, so, little people and the safety school bus was huge. You need to take take a gander at this this is awesome like you know every time i hear little people i just think of like those little uh the, the little guys in toy story like those little people uh-huh. squeaking around <laughs> and you know i mean obviously it's like that i mean it's it's uh it's an interesting really cool cool prospect for it because like i'm pretty sure the whole top of it can come off and then you play with the the little people and put them in their seats well yeah and there's a tiny little door but then also like a string that's in the front of it. And so then you can like wheel it around and like, you know, pretend exactly. going to school and all and that little people that might be a, 
that kind of might ring a bell with some listeners. I mean, that's been a long time uh, product line for Fisher Price, and this was actually the first iteration of the Little People toy. The Little People and the Safety School Bus was you, the very oh, first cool. version of Little People produced by Fisher Price. That's awesome. And then obviously they have things like you can get police officers and firefighters and you know everything in between. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you can have just a whole little community and, and have a good time. <laughs> uh, and then the Wooly Willy was uh, launched in 1950. So that's actually really cool. I always remember like my biggest exposure to these things was always Cracker Barrel. You know how Cracker Barrel always has like the old oh, time like toys everywhere? Yeah. Like we would, we, you know, we'd stand out in the cash out line after eating dinner or whatever. And we'd always stay a lot longer than we should because I was messing with uh, Wooly Willy and the, uh, you know, <laughs> Cork guns and all that kind of stuff. Because, yep. I mean, you know, you never realized, like, you know, when you were a kid, how old these toys were, but they were so much fun just to mess around with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those uh, kind of timeless, cool. timeless toys. Right. And, the, and like, they act like it's so easy to mess around with Wooly Willy, but never, ever can you get that freaking stuff to stay where you want it to and create those facial hair. Mm-hmm. Heck no, man. That stuff never works. Oh yeah, it's tough. You know, you see the <laughs> the product images and stuff, and they've got they'll have him have this little thin little mustache and just a little <laughs> bit of hair on the top of his head. And in reality, it's either nothing or caterpillar. I know, yeah, like it's all <laughs> over it. It's all over it. And then, like you know, you try to fix it, then that all just goes straight back to the pen. And by that point, you got to start over. So, um, <laughs> the official Magic Eight Ball was launched, and then Silly Putty as well. So, that's really cool. What a year 1950 was! What a year. Yeah, and there's so much stuff that I glossed over too. Just trying to kind of make a a quick and and free-flowing show there's there was a lot of stuff that that we were able to skip over 1950 seems like it just had it was it was quite the year as far as uh world events and uh different milestones in the commercial market right yeah, I, I, absolutely. And, and you know, thanks, man, for doing this uh, for us. And so everyone out there that kind of wants to take a look into this and, and see what was going on, obviously you can choose any year you want. Just hop on over to pop-culture.us, and then from there it'll take you around, and you can choose what you want to look at and uh, read up on. So yeah, the, uh, that's uh, where we the hist- got all this bad stuff. The, the peoplehistory.com his- is also a good one too. Okay, cool. And that's where we got kind of our quick – notes as well along mm-hmm. with like cost of living and all that good stuff yep yeah so definitely check that out thank you man so much as always that was episode 80 i mean not as always we don't always just do episode 80 <laughs> over and over again but thank you so much as always it really means a lot for you guys to be here episode 80 talking about all about 1950 uh, pop culture events as well as just cool little one-off things um toys uh and all that good stuff uh you can find us on all your favorite podcast apps uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. We are out there. Just look up Young Nostalgia if you like what you hear. Please give us a five-star review and just kind of scroll down, write about a sentence or two. Let us know what you like. As always, if you have a uh, recommendation for a topic or you'd like to be a guest or have somebody that you know would like to listen, let us know. Give us an email at youngnostalgiapod at gmail.com. That is all of it, I believe. I think I'm getting uh, you know almost like 
robotic in nature just being able to spout <laughs> off all that good stuff uh, anything next, else big guy next week you'll have to do it in reverse i know <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> uh no that was a fun show i'd like to you know i, I don't want to beat this topic to death i don't want to do it too much you know you know i don't want it to be that show that we do when we got nothing. We can't think of any other show topic. Um, <laughs> Even though that's how this came to be is because we had nothing else to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, point being, like, I, I like this and I think it's it's kind of reminiscent of the this day in history that we used to do a lot. Um, right. But I think, you know, picking a few highlights like we talked about North Korea and NSC 68 um, and going a little bit more in depth on them and then coming back to hitting some. Uh, more lighthearted highlights of things. Um, that's something that I would like to do uh, some more in the future, or maybe kind of do it, uh, maybe pick a, a couple years out of each decade and do over the course of next year. Right. I'm with you. Sometimes I like, I was almost anticipating you to just pick a random year like 1953 and we'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't happen. That's okay. a good year. 1950 was a good year. It, so. it was. <laughs> As we always say here on Young Nostalgia, keep the bottles empty and the ashtrays full. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>